You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Whenever I Am Afraid, recorded on March 10th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, Harvest. How you doing? Well, I'm glad that you're here. Harvest, uh, uh, my name's Mike, for those who maybe knew, Harvest is a a campus uh, is a starting over. Harvest is a church that has four campuses every weekend. We have services on Friday night, Sunday night, or Sunday morning in in three different locations, and then one Sunday night in a different location. And yet, last week I got to be at the Indiana campus and the Freeport campus, where I'm there on Friday night or Sunday nights. And um, I'll tell you what, it, it, I want the people of the Indiana campus to come visit another campus, and I want the people of the Freeport campus, and I want the people of the Catanning campus, and the PVC, because every single one you go in is so warm, and, and, and they're all different, but the same. I brought a friend with me who had never been to the Indiana campus, who had been to here in Freeport quite a bit, and uh, he said, man, those people there are so cool, they're so nice, they were good to me, and, and, uh, and it's, really, it's really amazing to be a part of a church uh, that meets in four places, and um, I'm excited about that. And likewise, before I jump into this chapter, boy, is David, David, I'm telling you, this is the best Netflix series that was never made. I mean, he's going crazy on this one. That, that's awesome stuff. But I got a couple of things I want to emphasize that, that for the whole church that right now. One is we're doing that disaster training, emergency training, and it's actually learning to prepare a bunch of food or chainsaw work or cleanup. Now, the reason why we're doing that isn't just so you'll know how to work in a disaster, but we're actually going to connect with a nationwide network. So if you will come to this training, it'll take a Friday night and church during that, and then a Saturday morning, if you come to this training, you'll get a t-shirt, a hat, and, and, and some sort of identification that says you did it. And then you'll be entered into a database. So next time there's a tornado or a, um, a flood in your country that needs help right away, uh, it'll be much easier to mobilize. You'll literally get an email and you'll be able to participate. Because and, and, I know a lot of times during those national, natural disasters, Christians want to help, which we should. We're, we want to go and bring the kindness of, of God to people in need. Um, but, but it's hard to organize that fast. Well, we're going to... We're, we're tapping into a national Christian organization so we can organize that fast. But we need people who are ready. So make sure you, you sign up for that because it's mission opportunity. It's, the event is not when you come and get trained. That's just what we, the preparation. The event is actually you, if your schedule allows it at the time, being ready to go and help people in need in your own country and to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, when Jesus left the scene, I'm still not to the sermon, but this is very important also. When Jesus left us, he left us with something that most people call the Great Commission. They call it the Great Commission. Co-mission. You're on co-mission with God. And what, what Christ's words were that were at the Great Commission is found at the very end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, when he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and then he says this, therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded. And do this till he gets back at the end of the age is the implication. There are over 7 billion people on the earth right now. When I was born, there were less than half of that. So in one lifetime, I mean, this is the, this is the time of human flourishing, <laughs> to put it that way. Um, there had never been like 3.5 billion people on the earth when I was born. There had never been that many. But but we're hitting these big numbers. So now there's over 7 billion people in one guy's lifetime. We've more than doubled the greatest number. So so there's tons of old people. And that means there's a lot of believers. But there's a lot of people who don't believe in Christ. And Jesus says, go and tell them. Now, we need to tell the people near us. We always need to be inviting people to church. You know the number one way to grow a church in America is invite a friend. Everything that we do collectively to advertise, to make a big splash out in the neighborhood does much less than just inviting your family and friends. So I I hope you'll always do that so they can hear the, the, the message of Christ. But did you know that if every Christian in the world were to tell every single person they know right now, not meeting any new friends, but every, every Christian in the world, whether they're in Africa or China or Korea or where, wherever they are, if every Christian in the world told every friend they have about the gospel and every single person who heard it believed. So think about that. Think of your, your circle of friends and acquaintances. You may know a thousand people. And then every single one of them becomes a Christian. Every single one. It's a, you're batting a thousand. And if we all did that this week... And every single person who's known to every Christian who exists gets saved. Did you know that still three billion people would not have anyone tell them the gospel? Three billion people. And that's the need of the Great Commission today. There's three, there's as many people who were on the earth when I was born 55 years ago who don't have, don't have a single Christian around them to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those, they, they, groups of people like that, tribes, they're, they're normally referred to people groups by Christians as, as people groups, unreached people groups. The good news is that there's people trying to reach them. Um, there's people in America strategically trying to reach people send people to go and live among and bring the gospel and plant churches that will grow. There's people in China doing it. There's people in South Korea sending missionaries to do this. There's people in sub-Saharan Africa doing this. There's people in South America. Most of the Christians of the world now live in the global south and they're sending missionaries to places they need to go. Not enough, but we're getting started. Harvest Community Church is actually part of that too. Um, and I say this especially for those who have started attending within the last two to three years and may not know much about this. But we formed a team we call the 1016 team, taken from John chapter 10, verse 16, where Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, and they, and they need to hear my voice also. So Jesus was saying there, I have, I have people who aren't Jews who are going to need to hear this gospel. And 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 so we say, well, there's people who still need to hear the gospel. So we formed a... Uh, a team. Most of the people, or many of them, who can't hear the gospel now live in East Asia or near there. 
There are a lot of people in Asia. Uh, China, Pakistan, Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Myanmar, a lot of countries like that. Most of the people of the world live in those countries. But most of those countries don't allow mission work. They, they will not let you in to be a missionary if they can find out you're doing it. Or they'll throw you in jail. Or they'll beat you. Or something awful like that. So some could say, well, then don't go there. They don't want you. Don't ruin their culture. And they say, you don't understand. We're not here to rescue or ruin anyone's culture. We're here to please God and set them free from sin with the message of Christ. In the book of Acts, we see the very first Christians who were all Jewish men were sharing the gospel and, and, and their leaders beat them up and said, stop it. And then they share the gospel again. And I want to read to you from Acts 5, 27 to 29 and, and show you what the Apostle Peter's response was to being told, don't share the gospel, we told you not to. Because it should be our response too. It says, when they had brought the apostles, when they had brought them, they brought them out, they stood before them in the, in the high council and the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name. That's Jesus' name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. <laughs> if only they knew. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So, if Jesus has all authority, then no one can tell any Christian we cannot go and bring the gospel there. We have a higher power. We must obey God. So our team consisted of mostly young adults and their children. We had our, our worship pastor at the time, someone none of you have met, his wife who was a hairdresser and their, their three kids at the time, now four. And then we had a, a PennDOT engineer who uh, was our bass player and his lovely young wife, a new mother of two, we sent them, and, um, and then we have a couple who literally just got out of school, just got out of college, and we shipped them over there. And they're working among a group of people in a country in East Asia that I won't mention right now. And they found a people group of about 20 million people where there's no church, and they've had a lot of good inroads. Folks have come to know Christ, and better still, folks have been raised up to work among their own people. So some people from that people group know the gospel and they're working to do the job among their own people. And we are, our, our team is ministering to both, women are ministering to women, men are ministering to men and we're doing it. And it's a good, it was a big endeavor, costs some time and money and people, but you did it. And if you came late to harvest, <laughs> you say, I didn't do it. You're doing it if you tithe because that's how we get the money. Um, a lot of the money that they need um, is we take it and we, sit and we keep them on the field. So you are doing it. You're helping to reach the unreached. But recently, they called on us to join in prayer with them because they believe, even though it's illegal for them to be missionaries where they are all the time, um, they're thinking that government is ratcheting up the pressure um, on foreigners and they've seen some of their friends who are not on our team get kicked out and so they said why don't we call the whole church and see if they'll fast and pray with us and we said 
we will. So here's what we'd like you to do. This Wednesday, if you can fast and pray for this team. Now, you may have never fasted. That means skipping food. If you can fast for the day, but then you have to set aside time to pray. God isn't going to just do what you ask because you say, I'm not eating until you do what I say, you know, like a spoiled brat. I'm going to hold my breath, God. The, the point is you're saying, I don't need bread. I need you, God. And if you don't deliver, that's the point of fasting, that no one delivers. If you say, well, I got a job. I can't afford to have no calories or I'm a student. My brain will go, that's fine. Perhaps you fast one meal. Perhaps you take your lunch and uh, Take that time and set aside time to read your Bible and pray for these people. And what you want to do is pray for our teams, a blessing upon them. Pray for the nation's leaders. There's a good chance there'll be a leadership change there. And, uh, and ask God, can our people just stay? Pretty simple. And uh, we're inviting you <laughs> to join them because they invited us. So um, if you want more information on that team, there's always letters in every one of our campuses on tables somewhere that you can find and after the service or after the sermon you'll get to hear from some of them themselves by video but now let's jump into our text Um, David is called a man after God's own heart God calls him that I didn't call him that that's that's what he calls him you want to be called a man or woman if you happen to be one of God after God's own heart that's the highest compliment you can have so we know he's a good example but you don't ever know what's going on inside someone's head. Have you ever known someone and you thought, that person has it all together? And you think they have it all together for years. And then one day, they sit and talk to you about some problem they have. And you say to yourself, this person's a basket case. <laughs> How come I never knew that? <laughs> you never know what's going on in someone's head. And here we got David. He's, he's I'm not going to do too, too much with the story. We're not going to talk too much about the priests or nothing. Next week we'll talk about them because bad things happen to them. But he, he, he gets Goliath's sword and he runs to Gath. That may or may not mean anything to you unless you can remember this one little detail from 1 Samuel 17 and that is Goliath was from Gath. His cousins remember him. <laughs> David is running away from the king of Israel wants to kill him to who right this would be like a crip running to the bloods maybe that doesn't work this would be like a cleveland brown fan running to the steelers you know (laughs) this is this is like a a a palestinian or a jew you, you know what i'm saying these are enemies these are enemies and david has been sung about because he's really, really good at killing Philistines. And for some reason, he's so afraid of Saul, he runs back to the town filled with Philistines to hide. Why is he doing this? By the way, I do not have the answer to that. The Bible never answers that. I wish it would answer that, but he does. And I'm thinking, bad move, Dave. So then he goes crazy. (laughs) And uh, shows in a whole other side of his personality. <laughs> He's able to fake crazy. And the king's like, get the weirdo away from me. It's catchy, you know, and that's the story. But did you know we actually have what David was thinking? If he's a man after God's own heart, how does he behave when bad things happen to him? What's going on in his thought life? And if you were to look at Psalm 34, you would see 
what he wrote afterwards. And we're not gonna do that tonight. You can read Psalm 34 in your own. If you're going through our discipleship, uh, whatever that plan is called, a Bible reading, you, this is, I think this is a week or so ago, I don't remember. But he writes a psalm after this event where he goes crazy. And it's Psalm 34, and he says this is, this is reaction. But did you know he wrote one during? He wrote, he's a songwriting guy. He's like Bob Dylan. Whenever he's sad, he writes a song. When he's scared, he writes a song. He wrote a song that you can sing. He, out of the book of Psalms, I think he wrote like 72 of them. These are real tunes that we don't know the melody of, right? He, he was like the Elvis of his day. So he actually wrote Psalm 56 and said, this is, this is where I'm at. And so what I want us to do is to look at Psalm 56. And the reason why is because it shows us how a good man, a strong man, a warrior of a man, how he deals with God when he's frightened. And every one of us has to deal with fear. And what I'm hoping, my hope is that all of us will see his example and do and follow it when we're afraid. So... Psalm 56 is really where I'm moving our text to today. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Psalm 56. I'm going to read it to you anyway. Um, so you might as well have it open. Psalm 56, it has a little intro to it. Some of the Psalms actually have introductions to them, like song instructions. And this is one of those. Um, it says, To the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths. I have no idea what that means. I didn't study it. Go find a better scholar if you want to know about the dove. Look it up yourself. A mictum of David. <coughs> and then it says, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So he's writing songs while he's in jail waiting to meet the king, apparently. What do you do when you're really afraid? Here's David's prayer. Verse 1, he says, Be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. I think we Americans are so optimistic and, and we overcome everything, right? And I think that's good about being American. But sometimes we get embarrassed if we can't handle a situation. And we shouldn't be. David's not. He's like, I'm getting my, my, my hind parts handed to me here, God. The, the, who's, the king of Israel, who I've served really well, is trampling on me. <coughs> I'm on the run. I'm begging bread. And now I'm in a Philistine jail waiting to meet a king so these people can beat me up just because I killed all their relatives. Can you believe it? They're ticked. <laughs> he just lays out his situation before God. When we are afraid... There's nothing wrong with doing that. I'm just laying down and travailing before God or sitting up or driving your car and say, God, these, these people want, everybody wants every dime of my money. I'm working as hard as I can. I got nothing. I'm stressed out. I'm poor. There is not another dime and I just got a bill from the tax man. God, can you see what they're doing to me? There's nothing wrong with that prayer. It could be about whatever is causing you fear. And that's a good start. That's how he starts. Like, I'm getting my butt kicked here. You can write that in the margin. That's what he's saying. <laughs> now, 
By the way, he's getting beat up, but he hasn't done anything wrong. Sometimes our life stinks because we sin. And believe it or not, he wrote a psalm about that too, Psalm 51. (laughs) And uh, you can go read that one. That could be your situation. When you do bad things, you can cause your own trouble. In this case, he's not causing his own trouble. The world's a hard place. It's causing trouble for him. In fact, he's right in the center of God's will. He's doing what God said do. God said you're going to be king. And he does exactly what God wants. And he's still in big trouble. Important life lesson there, huh? Don't think because things go bad that you're not exactly where God wants you. One of the devil's favorite lies of today is, well, since it hurts, obviously God doesn't care. Well, that's not true. (laughs) Um, If if you follow God's uh, people around, his prophets, his son, you'd see he seems to lead them right into pain. And it doesn't mean they're not right on track. You can be right on track and have life fall apart. And that's happening for David. And his step one is he just lays it out before God. So that's our step one. Just lay it out before him. And then look at verse three. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Worth memorizing. Simple one. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I, 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 I put my trust in you. He's not saying, I am never afraid. It's a lie to think, well, if I had more faith, I'd never be afraid. That's a lie. <laughs> because you live in a scary world and you're not God and you're not, you're not in your glorified body. This, this is a tough place and at times you're going to feel fear. The question is, how do you respond to it? He says, when I am afraid... Right, Psalm 56, verse 3. Maybe I'll memorize that right now because that's an easy one. (laughs) 56, 3. We can memorize that. If you memorize the verse, by the way, memorize the address. Otherwise, you'll never find it again. And And you're like the spaghetti sauce commercial. Where'd you hear that? It's in there. I don't know where. It's in there. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Verse 4. In God, whose word I praise... In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? So he's saying, God, when I'm afraid, I, I trust you. I'm in jail <laughs> or whatever kind of confinement the Philistines put him in before they led him to the king. Um, I'm in chains. I'm <laughs> the, the Philistines look pretty ticked. <laughs> I'm about to go see the king of this city and he's probably not going to like me. And I'm really scared. But I trust you. I know my life is in your hands. And then look, the first, next thing he says is, God whose word I praise. His connection to God is God's word. He, his connection to God is he meditates on his word day and night. We know that from Psalm 1. We know from all over the place. He says it all the time. He loves the word of God. So for our map... This is the best part of David's example if we want to take this down so we can discuss it in our community groups or at our coffee table by ourselves, (laughs) whatever. What we learn from David is not how to be afraid, but how to respond when we are afraid. David remembers his God and he remembers his word. Everyone here is going to be scared. If you want a world where you're never going to be scared again, you get that in the resurrection. But you don't get it here. You'd like to say, well, I have such faith, I'll never be scared. Yeah, let's see how long that lasts, Superman. 
but he put trust in God's word. I praise your word. Look, if God says it, it has to happen. If God says it, it can't not happen. Right? If God says, let there be light, there's got to be light. If God says, let there be dancing, polka-dotted, purple, striped giraffes in the bathtub, don't open the shower curtain because they're going to be there. And David knows that. So he says, I trust your word. And so I'm scared. So I'm thinking, you ain't watching. I'm in trouble. I'm going to get crushed. No, no, no. I'm thinking of your word. Perhaps he remembered the promise from Job. Because remember, the only word he had was the books of Moses. What, he had Judges, Joshua. He had Job. He didn't have that much. But he had those. And in Job 19, it says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He knows that verse probably. Maybe. Maybe that's what he's thinking of. That verse that Job said as he's getting crushed. He says, even if I die, it's okay. Because I know in the end, I'm going to, even when my skin is gone, which means you're dead, by the way, I know I'll be in my flesh before God. There's the resurrection promise. What can flesh do to me, he says in that one verse. What can flesh do to me? The most these people can do is kill me. God will raise me up again. When a person is afraid, when you or I are afraid, what are some ways we can react poorly? (laughs) Because the right way is the way David does it. But there are a lot of wrong ways, and some of you have been searching them out. And maybe listing them. I list them in my own life. There are a lot of good ways or bad ways to respond when you're afraid. Right? First is panic. I think that's a good one. Right? (laughs) Ah! Ah! Settle down. Settle down, David. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. You need someone to slap them. Shut up, David. They're going to be okay. (laughs) Do you know anyone who always reacts that way when they're afraid? It's not that helpful. Next one's worse. Abandon all hope. <laughs> it, one of the easiest, quickest temptations when we're afraid is, is catastrophic thinking. It, you're with me, right? You know what that feels like. It's one of the worst ways to respond to fear. It won't get better. It will get worse. And someone says, look, it's going to be okay because blah, blah, blah. You don't understand! Now that this happened, this will happen, and everybody's going to die, and the sky's going to fall. You're like, okay, okay, I can see you're scared. That's a very common reaction to fear is catastrophic thinking. You just abandon all hope. It's over. It's not helpful. Blaming others. You ever tried that one? That's a fun one. It helps get a whole new set of emotions going. (laughs) Hatred, anger, bitterness. And fear, what a cocktail. You're fun to be around. Now, now if you're short of stature and drinking, trust me, you're going to be fighting tonight. We don't. (laughs) That's the worst cocktail of all. Put all that together. But anyone, it's their fault, it's your fault. Curse God. God, how dare you? I've done good. Why does this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? David had a good case. You sent a guy to my house. I'm watching sheep. Everything's cool. 
he says, I anoint you king. And then I don't even get a big head. I just kind of keep watching sheep. I get into a fight from in a, with a giant. I don't even know how that happened. I was just visiting my brothers in Bamo. I'm in a fight with a giant, and I win. You'd think that's a good thing. And now I'm in chains with the Philistines. God, I, oh, I'm owed better than this. Never a good response to fear, but it's very common. Self-pity. Self-pity is always, you know, self-pity is that sickly, sweet, it, you always think that one's going to taste good when it, when it first hits your nose. That smells good. What is that? Oh, that's self-pity. Oh, oh, I think it tastes good. It's self-pity. And then you get it in there and you're like, this is horrible. <laughs> poor me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. My sister never had problems like this. The, where the rubber meets the road for, you, for me and for you is when fear comes, we have to make a mental decision in our brain to say no to whichever one of those tempts us and say yes to what he does. He lays out his problem before the Lord and he says, whenever I'm afraid, I'm gonna remember to trust you and I'm gonna remember your word. You see, David was armed with God's word. He was ready. You don't go into a fight without the proper Training without the proper tool. You have to have your peace high and tight, right? Right here. And maybe one here. <laughs> and maybe one over your shoulders. And a couple of them rows of bullets that the banditos wear. If you're going into a fight, you got to have your, right? You got to be able to pull out this piece. And it says, What? A bruised reed I shall not break, right? Boom! What can, right? Uh, I know my Redeemer lives. That's right here. John 3, 16. You know, we're shooting demons with this stuff. For God so loved the world. You know, let's deal with his fear. His fear is literally getting stomped. This isn't symbolic stomping. It's real fear, physical fear physical pain, physical death. And we can have that fear. It, it, you're less likely to get beat up in America than David was in, in, Philist, in the Philistine area. But you can still have physical pain and death. Just visit the hospital. Luke 12.4. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after have nothing more they can do. There's a good text to remember. <laughs> All you can do is kill me. And that's it. But there's someone who could throw my body and soul into hell and yours too. That's the one I'm going to fear. And he will redeem me in the end. Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced of this very thing. Or in the ESV. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels. Death or life. Right? You could die. It won't won't change this. You could die and it won't change this. It's very important we get this because we fear dying. You say, well, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm just always afraid of being sick. Okay. <laughs> you realize that's the exact same thing, right? It's just a, that's what it leads to. Neither death nor life. Nor angels nor rulers. That's angels or demons is what that is. Nor things present. 
what's happening now, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You need that when you're scared of dying. (laughs) Or whatever. Uh, For our next map, I want to turn towards Jesus, of course. Jesus rescues people from the grave itself. This is important to get. Jesus saves you from your ultimate fear, punishment. Your ultimate fear is punishment. Death, death, you might not, no one, well, some people do, but only because they think it'll make things better, but no one looks forward to death, (laughs) right? But death wouldn't be so bad if you just turned into dust. At least you can say, well, I just turned into dust. No, death is fearful because punishment. We all know there's judgment. We all know there's justice. We all know there's punishment. Jesus rescues us from that. He promises life in a new world and a body that lasts forever. When you die, if you're a Christian, your spirit goes to be with God and your body, it just goes wherever it goes. But don't worry, you're gonna get a new one when he returns and a body like his resurrected and it will last forever. Do you find that hard to believe? I don't care because here's what I know. God said it and if he said it, it can't not happen. He promises life in a new world, a better one, a body that lasts forever. And Jesus displays the generosity of God by giving his life to buy life for us. We always come back to the cross, don't we? Christ died to buy us. That's why Christians are always talking about blood. Not because I don't ever want to touch the actual stuff. (laughs) I don't even want to see the actual stuff. I, like, I see action movies. I like watching action movies. I don't even mind all the... I, 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 uh, hopefully this doesn't scare some of you off or say I don't want to be part of your church, but I even like the violence. That's part of the fun. But as soon as blood starts going, I'm like, oh, please, somebody tell me when it's off the screen. So no, we're not talking about enjoying blood. What we're talking about is understanding that Jesus had to spill his own to save us. Much like you can understand someone who dies in a war to save you. Unless the innocent one shed his blood, there's no forgiveness of sins for me or for you. Jesus took care of that. Therefore, he took care of my greatest fear. You, and I speak to you as if you're following Christ. Because if you're not following Christ, I'm hoping you'll change your mind by the time I finish this sentence, hopefully. (laughs) So I speak to you as if you're following Christ. You're never going to know what death is. You won't know it. Now, other people you love may die, and you can know the sorrow and separation, and, and you should cry. But you personally, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You won't know it. In other words, you'll never taste death. You'll never smell the grave. There won't even be a second of, oh, that's scary. Okay, I'm good. You can't die. You are invincible. And as far as your body goes, it's invincible until God says it's time for your spirit to leave it. You're never going to die. You're never going to die. Philippians 3.20 gives you a promise. Our citizenship is in heaven we've never been there but we're citizens you've never been there but you're a citizen 
You have all the rights. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So, okay, I'm sick. Okay, I'm dying. Okay, so what? My citizens, uh, Lord, I'm afraid. The doctor said, you're going to die. You have head disease and your head's going to fall off. And I'm scared. But whenever I'm afraid, I trust in you. And I praise your word, which says I'm never going to die. <laughs> Take care of my family. They're going to be sad for a while. Do you realize that the shortest time of your life is spent suffering? The shortest time of your life. You could crawl naked over broken glass and have someone pour lemon juice on you for 80 years. And still the shortest time of your life is suffering. Because 80 years goes by like this. And you get millions of sets of 80 years in a perfectly healthy, no suffering body. It's good to remember that when you're afraid. <laughs> in fact, it's not just fear. All, every time we're fighting negative emotions, sorrow, confusion, anger, frustration... Why not respond the same way? Lay it out before God. God, I'm really having trouble with this emotion because blah, blah, blah. But whenever I feel that, I trust in you and I praise your word. But you have to have his word. God never breaks his word. We must know his word. And one of the reasons why we spend a lot of time preaching at Harvest Community Church is because we believe the word of God is effective for changing one another's lives and we need to be together on it. Someone once came up to me and said, that was a good sermon, Pastor, but um, it was way too long. And this was at a wedding, too. It wasn't that long. I mean, wedding sermons are not that long, no matter what you do. Can't think of new stuff. They're hitched. What do we do now? I said, well, don't worry. People in hell love short sermons. <laughs> Fortunately, he was in a good mood because it was a wedding and we... We laughed. <laughs> this is why we have retreats. To remind you, you've got to leave the world behind and get your head back into God. I mean, once a week we have Sundays, Fridays, or Sunday nights here. I've got to leave what I'm doing because I'm losing my stuff and remember the people of God and why we exist and remember the truth of God. Well, sometimes you've got to pull yourself away from everything, which is why we have retreats. So ladies, in, coming up in just a couple weeks is the ladies' retreat. We've got some cool stuff planned for you, but it's all based on the Word of God. Um, Katie uh, Orr is coming out. I personally invited her. Um, and you need this. You might think, well, I don't have time this year. You, you make the time. And I know how women are. They're like, well, if I have a friend who'll be my roommate, okay, whatever you got to do. What are you going to do? Dudes never say that. They decide on other factors, but they don't go, well, if I have a friend who I already know who'll be my roommate, okay. But that's okay. We want women to be like women and men like men. It's a whole new idea in modern society. <laughs> we like it. So... You got a couple weeks only, so please sign up for the ladies' retreat for the sake of the Word of God.
Verse 5. He's still praying. He goes, all day long they injure my cause. Sometimes just telling God how bad it hurts once is not enough. (laughs) All their thoughts are against me for evil. Now he, what's he doing now? He's pointing a finger at the people causing him trouble. They stir up strife. They lurk. I don't like people who lurk. (laughs) Don't lurk. Stop lurking. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. I mean, that, he, you'd say he's paranoid, but in his case, they really are doing this. They're out to get him. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. Have you ever wanted to pray that? God, please kill this person. (laughs) Have you ever wanted to pray it? How many of you are lying by not answering out loud? (laughs) Some of you, some of you just, you're such nice people and really are kind people, better than me. You really don't want to admit it, but deep down, just say it. You wish they were dead. No, I can't say it. Okay, forget it. (laughs) What he's doing here is he's addressing the injustice. See, because you suffer while walking with God, doesn't mean you don't notice someone's wronging you. It's like, well, I'm a Christian. I don't care if it hurts and you hate me. I'm like Jesus. Even Jesus isn't like that. He's acknowledging people are doing evil to me. You can acknowledge that. My back should not hurt all the time. It's because of sin. And I've given my life to you, God, and still my back hurts all the time. You can acknowledge the injustice of the situation, if you will. We have a need for wrongs to be righted. You, test that statement. In other words, think about that and get back to me and see if you don't think it's true. For a person to be sane, they need to know that there's justice in the universe. Why do people care so much? If someone kills someone, why do people care so much that they catch the bad guy and he goes to jail? Why do the loved ones care so much? They don't know. It's just in you. You need justice. This is why, by the way, Here's a hard part. This is a very hard thing, but I'm going to say it anyway. If someone in the family abuses someone else, the first thing everyone wants to do is handle it quietly. It's never a good idea. Often the victim wants it handled quietly. They're the ones saying, no, don't say anything. I can handle this. Let me handle it. And the reason that's not good is because it perpetuates injustice and the victim can't figure that out and it messes him or her up for the rest of their lives. They need justice. They need someone to say, hey, this is a bad, bad thing and a person I love who's generally good did a bad, bad thing. He's a bad, bad person and everyone needs to react like that's bad because when they don't, they say, no, no, cover it up, cover it up. It's Uncle Jimmy. Everyone loves Uncle Jimmy. You don't want to create, yeah, I do. You need justice. We all cry out for justice. We go nuts in a world where bad guys don't get punished. Look in our current world where everyone's fighting each other over politics, which is driving me nuts. And probably you too. Isn't the great need accountability? Isn't that the great need of the day? Something we, are you following me? Are you tracking with me? Accountability? In other words, people did bad things Is anyone ever going to hold them accountable? Isn't that the need of the day? What you're really not asking for accountability, you're really asking for justice, aren't you? You're saying somebody 
stole and lied and cheated and took all the tax money or did whatever they did and they never get caught and they never go to jail and I can't take it anymore. Why not? Why can't you take it? Rabbits don't care. There's all kinds of rabbits on the earth. Their biological life, they're fine with it. The reason is because you're human. Humans are made in the image of God. We have souls. We know there's right and wrong. The worst person knows it. And so it's okay if it enters your prayer life. It enters David's prayer life. I'm being treated horribly. God, are you going to let these people get away with it? That's even okay to prayer, to pray. You could be being oppressed by family members or people at work or school. It's okay to say, God, they are treating me horribly. Ultimately, this is for our map, just to capture this idea, justice must come to the world. Evil cannot go unpunished and good must be rewarded. God will bring justice. (laughs) Every crime, uh, he says, for their crime will they escape, he cries out. Don't let them get away with this. Wrath will come. Human sanity will be restored. And David is praying for that punishment. When Jesus comes, it's judgment. He brings judgment. Every secret of man's heart will be exposed. Every word he says will be known. Everyone who's done bad will get what has coming to him, and everyone who's done good will get what's coming to him. That's judgment. But on this earth, mankind is not just. And you're going to have to live with the fact that many times, people get away with stuff. But it doesn't mean you can't enter it into your prayer life. God, they're getting away with this to me. It's okay to say, I've been wrong. Now, David prays for the ultimate justice. Kill them, please. But David received less grace than we did. That he didn't get to see Jesus personally. And we are not to pray that. We'll be very clear. We are not to pray. Did David pray wrongly? No, he didn't. He prayed for justice. And ultimately, that's what we want. But he was never taught by Jesus to pray for the greater good, and that's mercy. Here's what we're to pray at this point, and here's where we're going to diverge from David a little bit. We're going to go farther than David went. We can say, God, I've been mistreated, but here we have to pray, have mercy on the one who mistreats me. Matthew 5, 44 says, Jesus said, I said you love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I could talk about that forever. I've preached on it. Next time I preach on it, I'll break it all down. But really, all we're doing is having to convince ourselves that the simple truth is true. You have to love people who hate you, even though you don't feel like it. You have to pray for blessings on people who hurt you. You have to forgive people who do you wrong. You have to. There's no exceptions and no excuses to say, no, I'm not going to do this, Lord. Because Jesus shows us a better way. He doesn't nullify judgment day. He doesn't say, I'm not going to punish. Rather, get this, he makes it just to forgive. When you are forgiven sins, did God forget the justice? When you received Christ and were forgiven all your sins, did God say, well... I want justice for all the bad people, but since this person actually believes in me, tell you what, let's withhold justice from Frank over here or Sally because she's a believer. No justice. Her crimes will not be punished. Is that what he said? No. 
because God is just. Instead, justice was won in that Christ is punished for Sally. This is why we should seek to live to please God. We do not want to add to the burden we've already put on the Lord. And I know that's a weird thought, but I don't know how else to say it. (laughs) The reason we should hate sin is because how much it cost Jesus to get us out of the jam. You know, if, if you have to, if, if, if someone you know is about to get killed by a mobster because they borrowed a lot of money and didn't pay it back, and you want to save that person's life, you don't go to the mobster and say, why don't you cut him a break? Oh, you want me to cut him a break? Yeah, okay. You have to actually pay that mobster every cent. Jesus paid every cent so that the Bible can say this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. God is just when he forgives me. Devil can say, no, he ain't just. You should throw that dude into hell. He did a lot of bad things. No, they paid for it. He's innocent. It's just. That's why John 1, 12, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. That right was won by the blood of Christ. So it is now just to forgive sinners and we know this better way So when we get to talking to God about the people who hate us, we must say, whether our flesh fights us or not, Father, have mercy on them. Forgive them. Just like Jesus did. Father, forgive them. Paul added more flesh to the bone when he wrote this. Bless those who persecute you. You're blessing enemies, you're loving enemies. There's no way around this. People are always looking for a way out of this. Well, I don't have to unless he says sorry. Yeah, you do. There's not an enemy if he says sorry, all right? That's called a friend. <laughs> Bless and do not curse them. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not become Overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. What that means about throwing the coals on his head isn't that you should throw coals on his head. What what he's saying is the way to break the cycle of hatred that's natural to mankind is to freak the person out by forgiving them. You'll do more to change his behavior doing that than you will by hating him. Yeah, bring him back to life with kindness. Such forgiveness needs to enter our prayers, even when we're frightened. And then we get to verse 8 and 9. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What, what, what is he saying by that, saying that? You save my tears in a bottle. When you cry, do you think God goes, I hope you're over this soon so we can get back to being happy, Christian. <laughs> No, he, he, he cares. Like your mom. Now, if you had a rotten mom, this won't imagine your neighbor's mom. <laughs> like your mom. She may not feel what you feel, but you know your mom cares when she gives you that great big hug and says, oh, honey, I'm sorry it hurts so bad. God cares. He puts, and it's okay to enter that into the prayer. God, I've laid out my problem. I've laid out the injustice. I've asked you for help, and I trust in you. And now I know you actually care about how I'm actually feeling. You care that I'm very, very sad. 
You're saving. You're keeping count. You're keeping track. Somebody somewhere in the universe knows just how sad I am. Because it's very lonely to be sad and afraid. Because nobody seems to get it. But God gets it. He's saving your tears. He's writing it in a book. And not so you can have this horrible book to read. (laughs) It's his way of saying, you know, you're keeping count and you're going to comfort me. My enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Now, I don't have any tattoos, but if I had one, that's a good one. God is for me. If you got that lesson, you got most of what you need in life. But God's not trying to wipe me out. He's on my side. Okay, let's move. This will close up very quickly because we see in verse 10 and 11, he repeats himself, which is poetic. It's a song. Songs have repetitious choruses. This is his chorus, I guess. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's almost the exact same as verse 3 and 4. Verse 12, he ends it with a dedication of himself to God. I must perform my vows to you, O God. He doesn't let himself off the hook. Because I'm scared and people are trying to kill me, I don't have to be a good Christian. I can drink. Somebody pass the weed. I got to smoke. Uh, you know, I can go ahead and act like a jerk and kill these people because I'm in a jam. I don't have to be a good Christian. No, he says, since I'm in this jam waiting to meet the king who's probably going to kill me and I'm afraid, but since I trust in you, I'm still your servant. He ends the prayer giving himself back to God. And so should we. When you, before you get up from your prayer time, offer yourself back to God. Don't, don't get up a rebel. Don't get up holding on. You know, give true worship, which is yourself. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. He says this before. He knows he's getting out of the jam. He may die. (laughs) In this case, he doesn't. Well, actually, he should know he's not going to because God told him he'd make him king. And maybe he does trust that. But eventually, Christian's going to (laughs) die. And you can still say God has delivered me. And look how he puts this. You can feel the otherworldliness of it. He says, yes, you've kept my feet from falling today. I may walk before God in the light of life. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.